0: Hear the word of the Lord. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much. The full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hands. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, Naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil, that he may carry away in this land, in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall, shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness. and to accept his lot and to rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that the words of my mouth the meditations of all of our heart would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, amen. As you think about the, the world today, the world around us, we hear so much about the economy, about money. We hear about inflation, and I think that there is deep fear of inflation. How long will this last? Will it get worse? We hear about the possibility of recession and there can be great fear of recession. What will this mean? And A lot of those fears become very personal when we think about our life because we think, what about my retirement? What about my home? What about my credit score? What about my business? What about my way of life? What about my standard of life? What about my Children, That we, we think about the world, we think about the possibility of losing the things that we have, and it makes us afraid. But as we look at our text today from the book of Ecclesiastes, we see three reasons not to be afraid. Three reasons not to be afraid. So let's walk through these three reasons together. So first we see here that we don't need to be afraid because wealth can never bring lasting satisfaction. Wealth can never bring lasting satisfaction. We see this in verse 10. Look there in your Bible. It says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Now that phrase, love of money is a, is a popular phrase in the Bible. We hear a lot about the love of money in the Bible. And, and the Bible makes it clear, as we talked about just a few months ago in the book of First Timothy, that it's not money that is the problem per se, but it's the, the love of money that is the problem. First Timothy 6.10 says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And Hebrews 13, verse 5 says, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So again, the scripture is saying it's not Money, that is the problem. It's the love of money. He says that God will never leave us or forsake us. But then we can think about our heart. Do we love money or not? Or maybe you could even back up and say, what does it look like to love anything? How do you know if you love something? And I think about that from my relationship with Grace, my wife, when we were dating in college uh, towards the end of college, there was a, a time when we were really thinking about our relationship, and we were saying, "All right, logically, we're, we're either going to break up or we're going to get married." And so, if breaking up is the right decision, we should do it sooner rather than later. And if getting married is the right decision, we should do that sooner rather than later. And so, we said, "Is there a reason that we should break up? Should we even be in a relationship?" And as we we thought about that. It was a scary thought. Neither one of us wanted to think about breaking up. We didn't want to think about losing the other person. And that was when we started to think, oh, th- this might actually be deeper. There could actually be love here. Because when we love something, there can be fear of losing the thing that you love, whether it's a thing or a person. We, we don't want to lose the thing that we love. And I think that that applies to our understanding of money and wealth as well. We think about inflation losing the value of our money. And we say, well, why are we afraid of inflation? There are are practical reasons. I'm not saying that all the reasons are wrong. We hope that it doesn't continue. But yet, why would we be afraid of losing the value of our money? Could there be a root of the love of money in our hearts? Or why are we afraid, so afraid of economic downturn? Could there be the love of money in our heart? And I think that probably, if we're honest, that we all have some root of the love of money in our heart, some root that dwells within us that that desires money more than we should, That, that puts it a little too high on the list of loves. Because there is this sense in life that that money will bring hope, money will bring peace, money will bring security. We say, if I have money, everything will be okay in the end. If I lose my, my money, nothing will be okay. I will have lost everything. But look at your Bible again in verse 10. Solomon tells us, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Money can never bring lasting satisfaction. It's never going to fill up our hearts. It's it's never going to satisfy our our deepest longings. Even if the economy were to go the opposite direction, to grow and to grow, if we got more and more and more, it would never truly satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. And I think about an image of this uh, from the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I think about this a lot because Helen listens to it over and over again. Um, and so I've gotten to know it really well. Uh, and it's a, it's a wonderful book uh, for, for children, but also for adults. I recommend it. Uh, but if you know the story of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe*, Job, the, the second book in the series, but the first really kind of in an order that people read most of the time, uh, there's the, the magical land of Narnia, where it is always winter, never Christmas, because of the, the rule of the White Witch. And there is a prophecy that eventually two sons of Adam and two daughters of Eve would arrive who would become kings and queens and would end the reign of the queen. And that eventually they would sit on the the four thrones at Haere Paravel. And so first the youngest sister, Lucy, makes her way into Narnia and then returns to her home through the wardrobe into our world. And no one believes her. But then the, the younger boy, Edmund, makes his way in by himself. And he was kind of the the meaner of the kids. Um, He he wasn't the most pleasant one to be around. And he meets the white witch, but he doesn't know that it's the white witch. And she pretends to be nice, invites him into her sleigh. And she says, what would you like to eat in all the world? And he asks for Turkish delight. Marwan said he's gonna get me some Turkish delight. (laughs) He promised. Uh, so, but, but get, she, he, he wanted Turkish delight, and so she used her, her magical powers to summon Turkish delight there. And he began to eat, and just, it was the best Turkish delight that he had ever tasted. And he cleaned it out while she asked him questions, trying to figure out the whereabouts of the, the brothers and the sisters. But this is what Lewis says. He says, at last the Turkish delight was all finished, and Edmund was looking very hard at the empty box, and wishing that she would ask him whether he would like some more. Probably the queen knew quite well what he was thinking, for she knew, though Edmund did not, that this was enchanted Turkish delight, and that anyone who once tasted it would want more and more of it, and would even, if they were allowed, go on eating it till they killed themselves. And so this is, this is magic Turkish delight. You, you, you eat a little bit and it doesn't, it tastes good, but it doesn't satisfy that you want more and more and more. And it, eventually you would kill yourself if you had an infinite supply of this enchanted Turkish delight. And that's how we can think about money as well. Not bad in and of itself, but when it comes to the, to the love of money It's like the the desire for the enchanted Turkish delight, that it it tastes good and you want more and you want more and more and more. But the truth is, is that no matter how much you ate, it would never satisfy you. And at the end, it could lead to death. It could end up killing you. And so as we think about this then, it's part of the reason that we don't need to be afraid of economic downturn. We don't have to be afraid Of what's going on in the world around us that that if if the economy grew it would never bring lasting satisfaction it would never bring lasting life look at verse 11 in your Bible Solomon says that when goods increase they increase who eat them and I think that he's talking about when somebody gets lots of wealth that people line up to take the wealth away. It could be the government trying to tax you more. It could be so-called friends who pretend to be your friends and just want some of your money. It could be thieves or those who want to take advantage of you. They increase who want to eat up the wealth. And he says, what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? It's like looking at a picture of food and not being able to eat it. It looks good, but it's not bringing satisfaction. And he's saying that's what the wealth ends up being. You get all this stuff that you can look at. You're looking at all the wealth, but all you can do is look at it. It doesn't bring lasting satisfaction. we we'll look at the next verse there, verse 12. He says, Sweet is the sleep of a, of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. And so there again, you see that the sense that there, there's not this true lasting satisfaction. You're not, you are not don't get rest. It doesn't bring you true and lasting rest because he says that even the, the laborer at least is working hard and then is able to sleep. But he says that the, the rich with a full stomach can't sleep. Maybe it's that they ate too much or maybe it's a a hangover in some way. Maybe it's that they are afraid of losing their wealth or managing their wealth. It, it brings so much responsibility, it brings so much to protect that it, it, it robs the person of sleep. There's no lasting satisfaction. And that's the, the first reason that we don't need to be afraid of economic downturn. But now let's move to the, to the second reason. So again, that's the first reason that wealth will never bring lasting satisfaction. But then second, we don't need to be afraid because wealth can never bring lasting security. It won't bring satisfaction, but it also won't bring lasting security. Look at verse 13 in your Bible there. It says, there is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun, Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. So you see here that, that yes, we think that wealth will bring security. It'll bring safety. You say, I'm okay. I have money in my bank. I have a great retirement fund. I have a great home, I have a great college fund for my children, I have a great inheritance to leave to the next generation. And you say, therefore, I am secure. Nothing can shake me that comes in life. But look at verse 13 again. He says that riches were kept by their owner to his own hurt. That the the riches ended up being like burning coals next to the skin that you're holding the burning coal to your own hurt. And he says that the riches were lost in a bad venture. And that bad venture could be any number of things, bad investment. But we, we think about what could end our wealth? What could be the bad venture that destroys the sense of security that we had? It could be inflation, it could be recession, it could be war. Think of what so many of the wealthy and the powerful are facing in Ukraine, fleeing their homes. It could be theft, you you have so much, but then somebody takes it away. And I think that this is especially important for the poor, those who feel like they don't have a lot in the world to remember. Because yes, you can feel secure with a false sense of security if you have a lot of wealth, but then you can also think when you don't have a lot that if I only had more, then I would be secure. Oh, if I had money in the bank, I would be secure. I would be happy. But it's possible that more money in the bank would be kept to your own hurt. It could be lost in a bad venture. Where you say, if only I had a bigger retirement fund, then I could approach retirement securely. But that could be kept to your own hurt and be lost in a bad venture. That wealth will never bring lasting, true, final security. Look at verse 15 there in your Bible. Solomon continues. He says that as this wealthy man who lost his wealth, as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation, and sickness, and anger. As I read that that verse, verse seventeen, I thought, isn't that so much just a, a description of our world, the way that that we are prone to live? in this present evil age, that all his days he eats in in darkness, darkness, spiritual darkness. But then he says, in vexation, sickness, and anger. That is the life that we live under the sun. That is the life lived for money, the life lived for wealth, the life lived for more is vexation, sickness, and anger. But then we we feel that vexation, sickness, and anger because we don't recognize what a bad investment money is in the end. Yes, we're thankful that we have money. It's a gift of God. But right now we're talking about an 8.6 inflation rate, last I heard. But think about the ultimate value of money. When you die what will be the economic value of your wealth? That suddenly the value of your wealth is not an 8.6 inflation rate, the value of your wealth goes to zero at the moment of death. It, it means nothing. And that's what it says here in these, this text, that we can't take it with us, that so we come naked into the world, naked we leave, that, that this isn't where we can find ultimate value, ultimate happiness, it'll never bring lasting security. Yet so often we think that is where our investment, that's where we invest our time, that's where we invest our our fears, that's where we invest our our loves, but it's an investment that will be zero when we die. And that's the the second reason in the end, we don't have to be afraid because wealth can never bring lasting security. That's our, our second point today, the second reason we don't need to be afraid. But then here's the third, final, most important reason that we don't need to be afraid. That we don't need to be afraid because God is with us. That God is the one who is directing all things. God is the one who upholds all things. All things are in his hands. And that's what you see in verse 18 in your Bible. That there is this switch of tone in the text. Before this... There's been no mention of God, that it's been looking at the, the theme of wealth and, and toil under the sun. In other words, in this present world, without reference to God, and it's saying that it, there's no lasting satisfaction, there's no lasting security. But then suddenly here, Solomon zooms out again, and we get the, the heavenly perspective. God comes into the picture again, and we see that the value that we can even experience in this life. Says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. So you see what Solomon is saying there, that that we have few days in this life, that that this life is hard. It's bitter. It's full of suffering and pain that, that no one passes through the, this life unscathed, that it's a, it's a difficult world. But it says here that, that God has given us the days that we live, that he ordained the day of our birth. He ordains the day of our death, that he, that he has given us the days here to, to work and, and to labor and that even our toil, with which we toil under the sun, is a gift of God. And that, yes, we talk about the sweat of, that comes through the curse back in Genesis 3, that you'll work the ground by the sweat of your brow. But yet, work itself is still a gift of God. That he's, He calls us to work. He calls us to be fruitful in our labors. And he says here in verse 18 that we can actually find enjoyment in our toils, that we can find enjoyment by the grace of God and the work that God has given us to do. And yes, it's, it's toil. It's not just a walk in the park. It can be difficult. And it could be the toil of a student in his class or her class. It could be the, the toil of a parent trying to be faithful to his or her children. It could be the, the toil in an office job that just seems the same every day. It could be the, the toil of manual labor could be the the toil of even searching for a new job, and as difficult as that can be, that that God has given each one of us toil and work under the sun. And then part of our prayer then is, is saying, Lord, let me not look to this hope for security in life, but yet even if my job is hard, even if I don't like my job, even if I don't enjoy everything about my toil, Lord, please give me enjoyment for the toil that you have given me And the few days that I am here in this life, looking ultimately to the life to come. And if you think about it, enjoying your work is actually one of the quickest ways to biblical contentment. Because if you're working just to get more wealth in the future that you hope will bring enjoyment, then then you think, well, the the enjoyment may or may not come. It's uncertain. But if by the grace of God you can actually seek enjoyment in your day-to-day work just the mundane activity of your daily life well then you're able to find enjoyment in the here and now whether you have a lot or you have a little and I think that's what the Apostle Paul is getting at in Philippians chapter 4 one of the, the famous passages on contentment he says not that I'm speaking of being in need for I've learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content I know how to be brought low And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And that is ultimately the confidence that we have. That we can't do that by our own strength, but we can do all things through him who strengthens me us. And so then we can begin to to live out the the reality of verse 19. If you turn back to our text in Ecclesiastes 5, 19, he says, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions. So there you see that, yes, the things we have are a gift of God. If you have wealth, if you have possessions, that's not bad in and of itself. Uh, He says that God has given these things to us and he's given us power to enjoy them. And that, that is a glorious thing when God gives you both gifts, material gifts in this life, and he gives you the power to enjoy them. And you have the power to enjoy them because you're not looking to them for security, because you're not looking to them for lasting satisfaction, that you can put them in their place as things that are passing away. And then you actually have power to enjoy them in a limited way in this life. And he says to accept his lot and to rejoice in all his toil, this is, is the gift of God. It's the the gift of God that he has given us. So we aren't to despise the gifts of God, but we are to give thanks for the gifts of God and ultimately look beyond those to the giver of the gifts. And I'll leave you today just going back to Hebrews 13, 5. I quoted this at the beginning of this sermon, but it says, to keep your life free from the love of money and be content With what you have. For he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That it's the God of all creation who has all riches, all power, all majesty, who came into the world in the person of Christ. And he came as someone who was poor, born in a stable with nothing to his name. He had very few material possessions in his life, but yet he did enjoy the gifts of God, eating, drinking with his friends, discussing the the scriptures, teaching, healing, celebrating at the marriage supper of Canaan of Galilee, that he enjoyed life under the sun in the days that God had given him. But yet, at the end, he had absolutely nothing. He lost everything as he hung on the cross, even his clothes were taken away and divided up that, that he had nothing but we read in second corinthians 8 verse 9 that for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty you might become rich and that's not talking about riches of material possessions but it's the the, the riches of hope that we have through repenting and trusting in Christ the the riches of of knowing the work of, of Christ for us the riches of knowing that that no matter what happens in this life that he will never leave us or forsake us that he will bring us through this life into the eternal inheritance of joy and happiness forever that will never fade away where there will be lasting security where there will be lasting satisfaction let's pray Father, we praise you for the the hope that we have in Christ. We thank you for him becoming poor for us. We thank you for him giving up his life on the cross. And we thank you that we can share in his riches. And Lord, we we pray that we wouldn't look to lesser things, that we wouldn't set our hope on, on money or wealth or just the acquisition of more. Yes, we pray for the grace to enjoy the things that you've given us, to be generous, to, to give thanks for your gifts in our life. Uh, but Lord, we know that these things are, are passing away, that that the things here are, are temporary, that things here can never bring the, the life and the hope that they seem to offer at first. And so Lord, we pray for all of us that you would fix our gaze above this present evil age, uh, that we wouldn't live as those around us. We wouldn't fear what they fear, but that you would give us boldness and confidence and hope, um, knowing that, that we can be content, that, that you will never leave us or forsake us, that, that we can do all things through you who strengthen us. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.